We got a broad introduction to the subject of Messiah last time. We read the Rambam, both in his commentary to Mishnah and in his Mishnah Torah. And he covered the whole subject, or almost the whole subject, or at least all the subjects that we want to address. And as we mentioned last time, we're not going to subsist with just seeing the big picture. We're going to try to understand the details and the specifics, and as we always try to do, to do it as methodically and as precisely as possible. So let's begin right now. We're going to start today, please God, with the subject of the goal of Messiah, the objective of Messiah. And we saw last time already, we'll see more about this today, the purpose of Messiah, it's not the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal is to earn Olam Haba, the world to come. And all the manifold changes and progress and advancements that occur during Messiah and the Messianic era are all there to facilitate a path for Olam Haba. That's the heart of the matter. And today, I want to further address that before we proceed to branch out to all the other ideas that flow from it. We'll start with the why. Why do we have Messiah? Why is this a part of the scheme of the world? It's to get Olam Haba or to enable Olam Haba. Once we have that clarified, we're going to proceed to the how and the when and the who and all the details that flow outwardly from that core principle. And we hope, with the help of the Almighty, of course, to cover all aspects of Messiah to the best of our abilities. But we start with the primary and then we proceed to the secondary, tertiary, and ancillary. So what's Messiah all about? What is the purpose of Messiah in the grand scheme of things? What are the changes that transpire? How does it all happen? What is the timeline? Let's address some of these questions. And again, especially in this subject, we're going to emphasize on precision, and trying to stay as true as possible to the sources. And I'm going to clearly identify what is a source, what is a citation, what is a speculation, what's an idea you find in the Talmud, what's an idea you find in the Rambam, etc. And our discussion today is going to focus on two core citations that talk about the essence of Messiah, the objective of Messiah. The first source is another citation from Rambam, so we quoted two citations last time. This is a third citation. And this is found in his treatise on reward and punishment. The Raman presents as an introduction to the 13 principles, a grand, sweeping, authoritative treatise on reward and punishment. And he talks about Olam Abba and resurrection. And he also addresses Messiah. So I want to pull out that source from Rambam's treatise. And the second is a citation from Ramchal, Lutzato. Now, we've seen a lot of Lutzato already, mostly in Derech Hashem, the way of God. This one is not from Derech Hashem. It's from Ma'amar Ha'ikrim, which means like the, the essay on the fundamentals or on the principles. This is a short work on the principles of our religion and philosophy. And these two citations will deepen our understanding of the objective of Messiah, and it will be a very good framework 
for us as we try to continue and advance our studies. So our discussion today will be about those two citations, and we're going to end with, I think, is a very powerful observation that helps make the whole subject more relevant to us. A lot of the subjects we've covered have dealt with very esoteric, ethereal ideas, abstract ideas. Messiah, it's in our world. And our world, as we shall see, does seem to give some indications that Messiah is around the corner. And that, I think, is a very interesting observation that we will share after we quote those two sources. So the Rambam, in his treatise, starts off by talking about Yimosa Mashiach, the days of Messiah. It's a time that the monarchy will be restored to Israel. And the nation will return to the land of Israel. Our people have been an itinerant people wandering. We have reached all the corners of the globe. There's going to be a certain coalescence, a return, an ingathering of the exiles. And we'll have a great king. And that king will be very great. And his kingdom will be very renowned. And his influence will be worldwide. And his influence will exceed the influence of Solomon. And all the nations will make peace with him. And all the lands will subjugate themselves to him. Due to his righteousness and due to the miracles that will happen via him, everyone will yield to King Messiah. And yes, there will be detractors, but those detractors will be destroyed by the Almighty and will be delivered to his hands, the hands of Messiah. So the world's going to unify and it's going to rally behind this individual, this king of the Jews, King Messiah. Now, what will the world look like? What changes will exist? Says the Ramam, like he said, in his other writings on this subject, quotes the Talmud. There won't be any difference. There's no change in the realities and the rules of the world. The only difference is that monarchy will be restored. And yes, there will still be inequality. You'll have rich people and poor people, like you have today, like you've always had. There will be strong people and there will be feeble people. The world, as we know it, really seems to continue. But in those days, it will be very easy for people to find their sustenance. With a small amount of work, that will yield tremendous output. It will be a world with the same rules of nature, but it will be a world of abundance. With very minimal effort, a person will be able to achieve a lot. He quotes the Talmud. The Talmud says, in the future, the land of Israel, the land, will sprout loaves of bread. That doesn't mean that the rules of nature are changing. Loaves of bread do not come out of the ground. But this is a way of saying that 
food will be so abundant and things will be so readily available that it's as if the land sprouts bread. That's the world of Messiah. And there is tremendous benefit for such a time. The benefit is, says Rambam, that we will have a respite from foreign rulers. We won't have, like we have today, and like we've always had, says Rambam, we won't have forces trying to stop us from doing the mitzvos. And thus, mitzvos and wisdom and knowledge of God will increase, and it will fill the land, and it will cover the land. And there's going to be peace and stability, and wars will subside. And no nation will lift upon another nation a sword. And thus, great perfection will be available. And through this, we will merit Olam Abba. Again, the Raman brings us back to our North Star, Mashiach, and the wonderful descriptions. Not a world that the rules of physics and the laws of nature are changing, but it's a much more improved world. It's a, it's an elevated world. It's a spiritual world. All the physical needs are taken care of. All the distractions are put away. And through that, we will merit the light of Olam Abba. And then the Raman tells us about the dynasty of Messiah. Messiah will die. He's going to be a normal human. Like all humans live and die. And his son will succeed him. And he will die as well. And his grandson will succeed him. But they will reign very long. Both King Messiah and his son will have a long reign. And in general, Rahman tells us, lifespans will increase. Things are going to improve. Plenty of food, stability, peace, no wars, no worries. Lifespans will increase. And the Rambam again reminds us, why do we covet Messiah? It's not for the grain or to ride horses or to drink wine or to listen to music. All examples that he gives, by the way. Some fools think that Messiah is all bad. Oh, we have a great time. We can ride the horses and drink wine and lots of food and abundance and go to parties. That's why fools anticipate Messiah. The reason why the wise people, the pious people, the prophets, the reason why they yearned and coveted Messiah is because there's going to be a wonderful atmosphere, a wonderful environment for the advancement of our spiritual agenda. The righteous are going to coalesce. And they'll have the just and wise and good leadership of the king. And he'll be very close to God. And our spiritual agenda will be very easy for us to execute upon. All the mitzvahs of Moshe, our master of blessed memory, will be able to do it with ease. And there will be universal knowledge of God. Young people, old people, everyone. The Torah will be in their hearts. The stone heart that was there previously will be replaced 
with a heart of flesh. And all this, again, Rambam emphasizes, all this will enable us to get Olamaba. This is Rambam. He's describing the world of Messiah as a world with perfectly calibrated conditions for achieving Olamaba. We'll be able to do mitzvahs with ease, and we'll be motivated to do it. We'll have a, a heart of flesh. Torah will be in our heart. And the conditions will be propitious for that. We'll have Jewish hegemony, we'll have a great leader to rally us. Wisdom will increase, the monarchy will be restored, we'll be able to do all the mitzvahs, we'll come back to the land, there'll be an ingathering, we won't be disparate and scattered. And this incredible king, King Messiah, will be so great, even greater than Solomon. And it'll have a huge impact on our nation and on the world. And the world at that time will be one of peace and prosperity, material abundance, like bread sprouting from the ground. Everyone's going to make peace with the Jews. Wars will subside. Life spans will increase. And there'll be universal knowledge of God. And again, the objective of Messiah is to position us to be able to pivot. That is what Messiah is all about. That's the essence. How exactly it works? That's our next subject. How does all this change happen? What is the mechanism through which this all happens? That's for next time. But let's continue by citing a second citation. A splendid short work on the principles of our faith, authored by Ramchal, again, the author of The Way of God. This is a wonderful little book, Mamar Ha'ikrim. It's short chapters, each with a synopsis of major ideas of our philosophy. He has a very neat synopsis on Messiah and what it's supposed to achieve. And of course, he does not disagree with Rambam, but he does expand the subject a little bit to really place the idea of Messiah in the context of creation in general and to understand how exactly it's all going to work out, what are the various puzzle pieces and the timeline. And he tells us, the choicest of humanity is Israel. We're the chosen nation. This is the nation that's destined to cleave to God in ultimate, eternal closeness. Of course, that that sounds like Olam Abba. He's talking about Messiah. And as it will become clear, he's telling us that the way to achieve Messiah, I'm sorry, the way to achieve Olam Abba is via Messiah. So our nation is supposed to cleave to God in Olam Abba. But we can't just cleave to God in Olam Abba. We have to earn it. The degree of closeness that a person is able to earn in Olam Abba is commensurate to the degree of perfection that the person attains. So if you have perfection, you have closeness. If you don't have perfection, you don't have closeness. And therefore, before Olam Abba to be here, we have to have perfection. And if this nation, this Jewish nation, is supposed to in its entirety, achieve close connection with God in Olam Abba, well, this nation has to achieve total perfection 
so that we can earn total closeness in Olam Abba. So again, the, the Ramchal is echoing the words of Rambam. Messiah is going to create this perfection that will result in the highest level of Olam Abba. And then Ramchal adds another point, which Rambam has not addressed yet. He's asking really a question. You know, if you have someone who achieves Olam Abba on their own, they achieve perfection on their own. How come they can't go to Olam Abba? They have to wait. And they wait, of course, we talked about this in the past, in the world of the souls, it's sometimes called Ganeiden, paradise. There has to be closure to this world before there can be Olam Abba. Even though Olam Abba is a single-player game, so to speak, every person earns the amount of closeness that they have earned in their lifetime. That said, the setting for Olam Abba must be a perfected world. Before the individuals can be rewarded for the righteousness in Olam Abba, the whole nation and really the whole world has to achieve a degree of perfection. So Messiah has to come and perfect the Jewish nation and then perfect the whole world. And that will pave the path for the world to transition to Olam Abba and for the individuals to be rewarded in Olam Abba. Only once the collective is perfected, the world is elevated, only then can we transition to the setting where individuals are rewarded to Olam Abba. This is somewhat of a complicated way of saying we need Messiah to perfect the nation, and that will bring about the perfection of the world, and that can facilitate the change to Olam Abba, where the individuals are each rewarded as per their righteousness. Now, we've been around here, we as in humans, for some time. And we've never reached a world or a situation in the world where the world was perfected. We've done a lot of things. We've experimented with a lot of things. But we've never had a world where the entire world is perfected. Right after Adam shows up, right after creation, it was almost entirely perfect. And Adam doesn't sin. The world just was not perfect. And yes, you have the patriarchs and they achieve incredible heights and they spawn the chosen nation. But even amongst the Jewish people, there was never full perfection. The nation always had some lingering influence of maybe idolatry, maybe other sins. We've yet to have a time where there's total perfection. And therefore, there's an imperative to perfect the nation because only through that can all of creation, the rest of the world, achieve its perfection. And only once the world is perfected can the world be upgraded to Olam Abba. So the Ramchal is giving us the bigger picture here and the understanding of how Messiah is kind of the end point of creation, at least of this world as it currently is structured. And then he tells us that there's a limited time that's designated for this to happen. The potential time that God designated for this to happen is 6,000 
6,000 years. We have up to year 6,000 to perfect the nation and perfect the world and complete creation and prepare the grounds for Olam Abba. And then by, by year 6,000, this world will be renewed, which is a nice way of saying it will be destroyed, which means it will be the equivalent of, of buried to be reborn, taking a seed, put it in the ground. You don't see the seed, but eventually it will sprout forth. And that world will be reborn in a different manner, in a way that it needs to be for Olam Abba. But before this 6,000-year deadline, our nation needs to be perfected. And that will facilitate the transition of the world to the eternal world. And that, Ramchal tells us, this is promised to happen. This will happen whether we choose to help it happen, whether we resist it, regardless of what we do, this will definitely happen. This is an important point that we'll, we'll pick up. We'll have a whole session, I think, on this, on this point. Messiah is guaranteed. It's definitely going to happen. But the nature of how it happens is quite variable, as we shall see. So the world needs to be perfected. The nation needs to be perfected. Only then can the world be transitioned to Al-Mabba. And the, the catalyst for this transformation, says Ramchal, will be a man from the seed of David, who's going to be chosen by God to do this. God's going to select him and help him to succeed. This is Melech HaMashiach, King Messiah. In his time and due to his actions, through him, the nation will be perfected with great perfection. And all of creation will also be perfected. And goodness will increase and evil will be eradicated. And it will be a sublime, utopian time, both physically and spiritually. And he quotes, like the Ramam does, the verse in Ezekiel, the stone heart will transform into a fleshy heart and the good inclination will be strengthened. And people won't be interested in materiality, in physicality. Those things won't excite people so much. Instead, they'll be drawn to Torah and to service of God. And there'll be a virtuous cycle where things will improve. And then people will be drawn to Torah and things will improve even more. There's going to be a, a cycle here of, of prosperity and peace, no damage, no loss. And that will inspire people to, to be even more committed to their spiritual agenda, which will improve things even more until they will arrive at perfection. And once there's perfection, the world can be planted, can be transitioned, can be placed on ice, hibernated for a thousand years until it is reborn with Olam Abba. In the times of Messiah, there won't be foolishness in the world. The hearts will be full of wisdom and the pursuit of the spiritual. 
and holiness will be upon all flesh. And spiritual greatness will be easily acquired. And it'll be a very wonderful time, a time of great joy and goodness and closeness to the Creator. A time of great and perfect service of God. And through this, it'll beget elevation and more elevation and more elevation until a time of total perfection. And once that is achieved, again, it's got to be before the year 6000, then the world can begin its transition to Olam Abba. Now, hitherto he has spoken primarily about the Jewish people. Now he's going to talk about the nations. What is going to be their standing in the times of Messiah? Well, first he tells us some of the nations will be destroyed. Those that remain, those who are worthy of being saved, will be saved and will remain and will acknowledge the truth and will commit themselves to God and will abandon their deities and subject themselves to Israel. And that will be a point of pride. That will provide glory for them. They'll understand that their ticket to Omaba is via connecting and supporting the Jewish people. As we spoke about in the past, the way the Gentiles acquire Omaba is riding the coattails of the Jewish people. People universally will recognize that. They'll recognize that their vehicle to the eternal life is the nation of Hashem. And they'll want to pursue that as best as they could. The world will be perfected. There'll be no idolatry. Everything will be elevated. And that will be the fulfillment of the verse. In that day, God will be one and his name will be one. In this world, we say, Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem is our God. What about the nations? Well, the nations, they have their other gods. Hashem Echad, in the times of Messiah, God will be one. There will be universal recognition and acknowledgement of the Almighty's supremacy. Now, Ramchal doesn't end over there. He does proceed to discuss the resurrection and the rebirth and how that all works out and how that all plays out. And please, God, we will cover that when we get to principle 13. But this helps round out our understanding of what Messiah is all about. The Rambam tells us it's a, it's a world that's designed to help us achieve Olam Abba, to do mitzvos, to study Torah, we'll have a great leader who's going to rally us, and the conditions will be such that it'll be, it'll be very conducive to spiritual growth. The wisdom will increase, we'll have this incredible king who will lead us, and he's going to make waves throughout the whole world, and there's going to be peace and prosperity, material abundance. The wars, which are so destructive and distracting, they're going to subside. There's going to be peace. We'll have long lifespans. And we can pursue with full vigor universal knowledge of God, elevation, eradication of evil, and render ourselves worthy of Olam Abba. And the Ramchal gives us some of the context. Our nation will be perfected. The world will be perfected. Before there can be Olam Abba, there has to be perfection in this world. We have to have closure of this world to transition to the next world. And we have 6,000 years to do it. 
Messiah must come before that and do all the work really before that to perfect everyone, perfect the nation, perfect the whole world. And once that's done, the world can begin its transition to Olamaba. That is the objective of Messiah. Now, I want to share with you an observation that I think makes this whole subject much more real for us. I want to be very careful what I say because the Ramam told us, the Talmud tells us, history tells us, it's not a good idea to make any messianic prognostications. No one knows. What we do know for sure is we're getting close to year 6,000. We're not quite there, but we're, we're, we're close, historically within striking distance. But it's also important to realize, you know, Messiah is going to come. Will this be something that happens overnight? A sudden change? Or is it a process that develops gradually over time? Is it gradualism? Is it punctuated equilibrium? This is a really hard question to answer because we have sources that say both answers. Messiah is described as both something that happens in an instant and as a process that evolves and progresses gradually over time. You look at our prayers. You have successive prayers One talking about the sprouting of David. It's like a process. You plant something in the ground and it just organically happens over time. And we talk about the building of Jerusalem. This idea of active building where just one second there's nothing and the next second you have something that's built. So which is it? Is it something which happens instantly, overnight, very dramatically, very suddenly? Or is it something that there's a a gradual buildup? And his progressive steps towards the ultimate, the ultimate conclusion. It seems to me, and we'll talk more about this, I think, at length sometime in the future. It seems to me that there are different dimensions to the Messiah. There are elements that constitute a gradual buildup, and there's also elements, or maybe an element to a sudden and instant transformation. Messiah, as we shall see, is described or is compared to birth. If you think about birth, you know, there is a slow buildup and then there's the sudden birth at the end. You're anticipating the birth because you know it's been you know a few months and you see a little bulge and then it gets a little bigger and you know you could tell that there's something foreboding or not foreboding that sounds negative but there's something impending that's going to happen but still the actual change is is instantaneous now this is actually an apt parallel because you know labor is quite painful i've been reliably told and it gets progressively harder and more difficult. And when it gets the harshest, when it's totally unbearable, when it seems like someone's about to die a horrific death, suddenly a a brand new life, a life that was never seen before, suddenly 
emerges. This is Messiah. There's this this slow build-up and then a sudden arrival. The Talmud tells us. The Ramchal quoted it. It's a 6,000-year enterprise, the world. We have 2,000 years of tohu, of desolation, 2,000 years of Torah, and 2,000 years of Messiah. Now, we're going to talk, please God, extensively about this Talmud and what happens in the 7th millennium beyond. But there's an epic of history called 2,000 years of Messiah. It's not just an, an overnight instant change. As of this recording, Messiah is still something that we are awaiting for. But there is a process that has been undergoing for a long time. That's a messianic process. The concept of progress, the idea of you're, you're building towards a progressively better, more righteous, more just, more elevated, more enlightened, more prosperous, more inclusive future. My grandfather, blessed memory, used to say that this, 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 this idea, this concept of progress was appropriated from our idea of progress, from Messiah. But the end game, what's the end game of progress? The end game of progress is perfection. And the perfection is going to be achieved after there's an acceleration of the progress with the arrival of Messiah. And the reason why I'm saying this is because we, we got a lot of descriptions of what Messiah is all about. What are the conditions of Messiah? What's the world like? And if there is a process that takes us step by step gradually towards that endpoint, it is to be expected that as you get closer to Messiah, you see more indications of Messiah as the time grows near. You should start to see the contours of Messiah the baby bump of Messiah, maybe even some of the birth pains of Messiah before Messiah arrives. You can see the, the shaping of the future reality. And yet, yeah, it's, it's hard to see. It's hard to see details. You don't see the baby yet. But you can expect the baby. Before the baby arrives, so to speak, proverbially, you should expect to see things trending towards Messiah. And some of the prophecies that talk about the world in the Messianic time starting to take shape. And again, without making any predictions and without speaking out of turn, it is very reasonable, in my opinion, to say that the world as we currently are living in, it is a world that does seem to indicate that the messianic properties are getting in line. It's undeniable today that there are millions of Jews already in the land. Again, that's a phenomenon that we are explicitly told is a component of the messianic revolution. The ingathering of the exiles. But in general, we're living in very unprecedented times. And the Ramah tells us, Messiah, well, the rules of the world are the same. The same rules of nature, the same laws of physics, the same hospitable, for the most part, blue planet, the same bodies, driving cars and taking trains, flying airplanes. 
No miracles that change the world, that change how the world operates. The only difference is the subjugation to foreign rulers. Meaning that, at least on a basic level, there are more interpretations as we shall yet see. We're not going to be forced to kowtow to foreign powers. We're going to have the, the freedom and the flexibility to do what we want. We're going to be able to study Torah and do mitzvos, of course, to offer sacrifices in the temple, to live in the land most designed to bring us closer to Hashem. And through that, we can become meritorious to earn Olamaba, which, of course, we must never forget, that is the world of the ultimate reward. The world of Messiah is the same world that we have today, but there are some differences. Increased lifespan, world peace, Jewish sovereignty in the land, prosperity, a surge in the knowledge of God. But yes, there's no fundamental changes to how the world operates. I think you look at the world today, especially if you have a sense of history, we are living in a world that's very different than what our antecedents lived in. It's the same planet, the same rules of nature, but the kind of life that we live, it's very different. In antiquity, going back go back 500 years, go back even 200 years, it was common for famine, for hunger to exist. That's the rule, historically, to be satiated. That's the exception. People used to barely have enough, of enough food to feed their families. If you have a good sense of history, you, you realize that our times are a total outlier. We're living in times of prosperity, of abundance. Our problem is that we have too many calories, not too few. We're living in remarkably peaceful times. Now, of course, you won't realize that by reading the news or watching television. As they say, if it bleeds, it leads. But if you had to say, you know, when was the most peaceful time in all of recorded human history, the answer is actually right now. Now, again, of course, there are still still some conflicts, as we know. But we're living in times that are unrivaled in their tranquility and stability. And again, we don't know if it will be permanent, if it will last. But I think it's very noteworthy that many of the indicators that the most reputable sources on this subject, they tell us this is what Messiah is going to look like. Those indicators seem, or many of them, seem to be present in our world. And when you study the descriptions of the pre-Messiah, it's hard to avoid the parallels between those descriptions and our times. And again, I'm not a prophet. And I'm not pointing to any individual phenomenon or event and saying, well, this is a harbinger of Messiah. I'm not doing that. But it's, I think, really remarkable that if you simply study the descriptions of our sages, if you were able to resurrect your great, 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 great grandfather, and you transport them to 2023, and you say, well, live live a day with me to get my car, and we're going to drive to the supermarket. Look how much food there is. Look at the kinds of lives that we live in. Oh, your clothing is dirty. You just put it in a box and press a button and it's clean. Oh, and you could have this glass phone that you could have all of Torah on it and listen to incredible Torah podcasts. There are some that you might recommend to him. 
Oh, and you can make a phone call and call your cousin in Israel. Oh, you want to go to Israel? Oh, no, you have to get on a camel and travel for six months and probably die along the way. Just, you can arrive there in, a, in 12 hours in a climate-controlled metal cylinder. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of food for everyone. Wait, wait, you have more than one piece of bread? What? You can eat a whole loaf? And you can study Torah peacefully with, without any pogroms? And you can wear your tzitzis and your kippah amongst the Gentiles. And the Jews are back in, in the land of Israel? It's a wasteland. It's a barren, desolate, empty land. You see, the Jews from all over, from Iraq and Persia and Egypt and North Africa and all over Europe, they've all coalesced back into, into Israel? Are you kidding me? There are yeshivos with thousands of students, a stone's throw away from Temple Mount. People would not believe that we're not living in Messianic times if they were resurrected. We see a world that very much resembles the world that is described in Rambam, in Ramchal, about the Messiah. Even when we think about the, the nations, the Rambam explained the role of Christianity and Islam. They, they do the mass market adoption. And that's part of the messianic process. And that's there to prepare the world for Messiah. So, of course, we know that only began, the nations only adopted monotheism once the 2000, the final 2000 year tranche began. But today, we see that there's a realignment. The Christians are becoming less religious. And that is something that we, we ought to expect. Why? Because Messiah's job is to make those minor last second, you know, final touch-ups to what they believe. And therefore, when we see a certain softening of the Christians in their religious fervor, that's something that you should expect. And then you see the, the Muslims making peace with Israel, with the Jews. That's something that you, again, is not my words. That's what's described in the literature. So this is a long way of saying that if we just take what our sages tell us, Messiah, at least on one level, it's a process that takes thousands of years, 2,000 years, until it's completed. And it's a world of material abundance and stability and peace and the ingathering of, of exiles, even mass media. The sages have told us the reason why there's mass media, it's all for Messiah. Even the announcement of Messiah. It's going to be on the radio, we were told. It's going to be in the newspapers. Today, it's possible for information to, to spread the, the world over in one day, even in one second. The idea of the world becoming a singularly focused and everyone aware of the same information, that's only possible today. And again, this is not me talking, this is our sages have said that the reason why we have all these things, all these advances in technology, because that is going to facilitate the Messiah. This utopian world, a world that is physically and spiritually refined and perfected, we're not there yet. 
but we are seeing the contours. We're seeing the advanced stages. So many of the prophecies have come true and we're witnesses to it. The largest settlement of Jews in the world is in Israel. Would you believe it? The land, that same land that's been so talked about in the Torah and such an emphasis of our nation for thousands of years and it was totally empty. During the Erzal, the land is Gafris Famelech, sulfur and salt, completely desolate. It's desert for 2,000 years and now as foretold in the Torah, it blooms again. It's blossoming again. A total anomaly of history. And it's evident to all of us today. And it's part of the Messianic prophecies. And again, the, the Rambam, when he talks about Messiah almost a thousand years ago, it's hard for us to imagine. How is it possible that there's no miracles? There's no change to the, changes to the rules of of nature. There's no changes to the laws of physics, yet all these things are happening and we're actually living in that world. So that's, I think, a very important observation that I think makes this whole subject much more real and tangible for us. I heard from very reputable and universally respected sages who who have said, and I'm not saying this because I don't want to make any predictions, but I've heard it from people, Messiah is around the corner. You can hear the footsteps. You can hear the footsteps. This is something which is much more real, or it should be much more real to us, than what maybe we had originally thought. We're close to this utopian world, to this world of universal recognition of God. We have a comprehensive description of what the objective of Messiah is. We understand what it looks like, or at least part of it, the essence of it. The next subject I want to ponder, please God, the next opportunity that we get, it's going to be the how. How is all this going to happen? What is the mechanism for this to happen? You know, it seems like you can make an argument, well, yeah, the world's advancing and there is prosperity and there is peace and there is abundance, but spiritually the world is devolving. How can we speculate that we are in fact getting closer? That's the next subject that we have to address. What about Messiah orchestrates these incredible changes? What is the mechanism through which this all happens? What is the cause that leads to the effect, that leads to this wonderful virtuous cycle that Ramchal talked about? How does all this change happen? That is our next subject. I'm looking forward to studying it with all of y'all from the Torch Center in Houston, Texas. As always, my address is Rabbi Walby, spelled W-O-L-B-B as in boy E, at gmail.com. Send me your comments, your questions, and your feedback.